Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, and I've got a great show in store for you today. My special guest is Dan Scheinman, investor in four unicorns and the very first investor in Zoom Communications. That's right, that Zoom Communications, which we're all using for our video conferences during the pandemic and the IPO success story of 2019. Dan is also a part owner of the Giants, so we'll be talking a little bit more about baseball as well, so don't go away. First up in tech news, as of this recording, uh, it's a little bit disappointing, but we just heard that the SpaceX Dragon launch was postponed till Saturday, May 30th, um, unfortunately due to weather. But what's notable about the Dragon X is that this is the first manned spaceflight from the U.S. in over a decade. And uh, it is the first commercial flight, meaning that it wasn't done by NASA directly, but it was contracted out to Elon Musk. SpaceX. So we're looking forward to hear when that launch happens. Also in court news, uh, Twitter, Facebook were given for now um, a pass. The appeals court has said that what they're doing does not violate the First Amendment or free speech. You might be aware that conservatives are complaining that they're censoring folks like the President of the United States. And in this appellate ruling, which I think will go to the Supreme Court, it's basically saying that free speech is only protected uh, when it's a government communication, but private firms such as Twitter or Facebook or other social media platforms do have the right to self-censor. So I'm sure there'll be more news in regards to that. In terms of more fallout over things that are happening in Silicon Valley, Palantir, which is also another very famous, uh, highly valued tech company, their CEO announced recently that he's considering moving the entire company um, to a different part of the country, even Colorado, perhaps. Uh, I think due to the pandemic, a lot of companies have the ability to think about whether they want their nexus to be in Silicon Valley. And also with some of the questions around Facebook, Twitter, Google being a centralized platform, it's also giving other companies pause as to whether they want to be associated with these types of companies. So I'm sure there'll be more news on that as well. And be sure to stay tuned for the third segment of today's show, because I'll be talking more about what contact tracing is and what it means for you. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest is Dan Scheinman, angel investor, as well as a minority owner in the San Francisco Giants. And also, interesting fact, uh, one of the first investors in Arista and the first investor in Zoom. Hey, Dan, welcome on the show today. Hey, Keith, thanks for, for having me. An honor to be here. So, Dan, you do a much better job introducing yourself than I would. I want to hear more about your background. What have you done and what have you been up to? So, Keith, for the last nine years, I've actually been running uh, an angel investment company, my own, my own funds, trying to look for places in the market where the herd is not and trying to find some examples of companies you know, who don't really attract the early attention but have the have the ability to create world-changing products in software, uh, security, and infrastructure. 
And so for the last eight years, I've been writing early checks to world-changing um, founders. I try to do one to two per year. Uh, I want to be early first round or shortly thereafter, and hopefully have a good chemistry of the founder can be involved. And so for, that's really what I've been up to. Prior to that, I was at Cisco with you for a long time and uh, in a variety of roles and had a lot of fun watching the company scale and a lot of learnings. Well, thanks, Dan. And just because you brought up Cisco, our, our uh, former stomping grounds, it was a really interesting time. On today's show, I'm going to want to talk about our time at Cisco, but also how that compares with the good and the bad times that are occurring today. I see parallels um, just for information. When I joined Cisco in 1998, uh, Dan, I believe you were general counsel and we were doing M&A together and that was a rocket ship. I mean, we did 52 acquisitions from 1998 to 2001. I worked on 38 of them and uh, you picked up corporate development, I believe in the 2000 timeframe. And that was just, it's like, it compares to what you hear about Google, Facebook. I mean, that was a phenomenal time of people just working and producing products. Yeah, I think, first of all, I think Cisco is one of the undertold great stories of the Silicon Valley era because we had two things, you know, a little bit of headwinds. We had to build hardware, which makes it harder because you have to manage thousands of suppliers in a, in a pace where your business is doubling every year. And that was kind of incredible. And then the second thing is we didn't have the SaaS tools to build infrastructure that companies have today. So people were having to figure out how to build tools themselves to scale things internally. And what people managed to build was incredible for its era. And I still think very fondly about, you know, what the problems that people were able to solve with folks like you and our incredible IT team, as well as uh, folks internal to the business who were incredible at figuring out how to use very now rudimentary tools actually automate tasks in order to allow us to scale and that Cisco story it's just an incredible story we, we got under told because we didn't really have founders at that point but the reality is that um, I think we had it we, we had a lot harder problem set than the pure software companies who scaled and the, the folks who scaled with infinite SaaS tools now helping them so so it's I, I really, uh, you know, I had a great time there. I learned a lot. And I, and I really think that what we accomplished was quite significant. I, I couldn't agree more. I give a lot of credit. I had just uh, grew up at Wells Fargo when I went to Cisco to do M&A integration for IT. And um, in Maxwell's book, Good to Great, you know, he had talked about Southwest. He talked about the old Wells Fargo, not the Wells Fargo today. And he talked about the work that we were doing at Cisco and John Chambers um, potentially being a level five leader. Now, of course, the market turned and everything went, out, <laughs> went crazy. But just speaking about that special time, and I'm super appreciative of all the experience I got from uh, the leadership, especially you and your team. And so um, I just have nothing but fond memories. Just a really quick plug for people who are listening. If you happen to be a Cisco alumni, um, on a lark, I created the Cisco Alumni Facebook group, which is a private group. But if you're a Cisco alumni, just go to Facebook, uh, request to join, and I'm the administrator. There's a couple other people, and we talk about these stories that we're talking about with Dan right now. So love to have you join us, and and that's it. So Dan, um, with just the final minute we have in this segment, uh, I want to kind of lay out what else we want to talk about today. Um, you are the first investor. <laughs> 
in Zoom, and you're one of the first investors in Arista, two Cisco alumni products. Now, again, we, we have a lot of loyalty at Cisco, so I know that's going to cause some consternation to some people, which we can talk about. But I want to talk about that. I want to talk about your advice for startups, um, what you're seeing now with COVID-19, the pandemic. In my practice, I'm seeing a lot of pivoting. So um, I just want you to hang in there. Don't go away. We've got a lot more with Dan Scheinman. Uh, angel investor, very well known in the Valley. You have any questions or comments about what we're talking about with Dan? Email us at info at svn.biz. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. And uh, Dan is very prolific on LinkedIn, so I'd go read his articles as well. And we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest today is Dan Scheinman, angel investor, also minority owner of the San Francisco Giants, and one of the first investors in Arista Networks, and the first investor in Zoom. Welcome again, Dan. Welcome, Keith. Dan, since this is very relevant, um, what is the Zoom story What's the first-hand account of that? Keith, it's a great story. I, when uh, you know, I left Cisco, one of the things I started thinking about is where could I actually make a mark in the venture market? And one of the things that, that struck me right away was that founders who were over 35 years old were having a hard time finding seed capital at the time, some of whom were really brilliant and had really good knowledge, not only of technology, but how to sell the technology. So Eric had reached out for a meeting and I had a sense he was going to start something. On my way down, I, I really loved Eric already, but on my way down to Palo Alto, I did a few reference calls. And as I was doing reference calls, people kept saying, if you have the opportunity to work with this guy, he's a one-of-a-kind leader and a one-of-a-kind person and a one-of-a-kind technologist. There are not many who exist like him. And so as I was driving down, I decided, you know, I wasn't going to get this kind of opportunity a lot. And I was going to just write the check on the spot. And I actually had a checkbook with me. Uh, and so uh, we sat down and, and Eric said, you know, thanks for coming. And I said, Eric, I want you to know, you know, I've always loved you. And I did reference checks on my way down and I really love you. Right. And so much so that I really don't care what you're doing. I'm going to write you a check right now. And so he said, really? I said, yeah. And so I handed him a check on the spot and said, I'm proud to be an investor, da, da, da. And then he said, do you want to see the presentation? And I was too far into it at this point. I was, you know, I love you. You're great. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, 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 no. No need to see the presentation. And he's like, for both of our sake, can I show you the presentation? <laughs> and then I understood, okay, here's what he's going to do, right? Which is he's going to modernize, completely rebuild the whole video communication space. And I fell in love with the project and I fell in love with the team and the idea. And, you know, it's been obviously nothing but fantastic since then. Uh, Eric is one of the most unique founders. He, he cares about his team. He cares about uh, his customers. He cares about the community. And it's been an incredible uh, ride with him over these last several years. Thanks, Dan. That's, that's really an amazing story. So thanks again for sharing that. Since we're on the topic of Zoom and we were talking about your history with Eric Yuan, the CEO, and Eric was a former Cisco alum. This was after my second time at Cisco, right? When I had moved on, um, 
how did his product not get integrated into WebEx? I mean, what's the story behind why Eric had to go in and start his own thing? And this is a big, let me just say this, this story has nothing to do with Cisco. It's not a shot at Cisco, particularly. It's a big company problem. Uh, as you recall, Cisco wasn't growing that fast. And so resources became really hard to fight over, right? You had to really try and figure things out. And Eric said, hey, I want to redo WebEx for the cloud. And I want to really redo it. And it needs a rebuild. And the company basically said, we don't have any resources to do towards that. You should go do it yourself. And I think what they meant was he should take resources away from other projects and devote it for, for this. Um, Eric basically said, hey, wait a second, if I'm doing it myself, then I'm going to do it myself from scratch, right? And I'm not going to worry about the legacy stuff, and I'm going to start all over again, right? Totally new code base, yada, yada, yada. And so really, it was the inability of a company to free up resources, right, in, in order to tackle new in that, that kind of forced a decision point for him, right? And it wasn't, you know, he wasn't upset at Cisco. There was no, you know, uh, you know, nailing his badge to the door kind of actions. Uh, it really was about, you know, th th there was a really hard problem. How do you allocate resources in a company which is only modestly growing? And it was a very hard thing to answer. And in this case, the answer became to start from scratch, which he did. No, I, I totally get it. Um, uh, a couple of seasons ago, I had Jed Yue on my show who founded Avamara, acquired by EMC when he was a young man. And then he's the CEO, founder and CEO of Delphix. And he wrote a book, um, The Disruptor Died. He specifically talks not about Cisco, but the big company problem you're talking about, which is how do you, you know, all these analogies, how do you turn a, a large ship? How do you uh, create sidecars? I mean, a lot of times we, we do spin-ins and spin-outs. And so it, it does become... A resource issue, and, and you'd said in the earlier segment about how uh, Cisco doesn't get as much credit as it could have because at the time there wasn't the concept of founders and these tools that you can now get through SaaS products. We had to build all this stuff ourselves. So now you're an Eric Yuan, or you're um, another potential entrepreneur, um, and you mentioned over a certain age, leaving a large company. All those tool sets are there for you. I remember, um, I think it was the late. 2000s and there was a startup so we had talked a lot about how in different financial cycles uh, companies do a lot to bring companies in but we also discard companies really fast when we don't think there's much opportunity because the market changed uh, there was an acquisition by Dell that right when cloud was new and they made head they made headlines because you know it took them two or three years to get founded but once Dell um, let the entire group go due to the economics they were back up and running in 48 hours. They had literally started a whole new company again. So I, I totally get this large company concept. So now the question would be um, for you is, how do large companies, can they uh, prevent, how, how do they, we, we talk about this uh, term, the intrapreneur versus the entrepreneur. What can large companies do to protect their intrapreneurs? I think that's a great question, Keith. And, and I was an entrepreneur at Cisco in my final uh, I remember. incarnation. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll tell you, that is a really, really hard job uh, because you're doing something orthogonal to the core business. And the core business, is, of course, generating gazillion dollars of revenue and you're not. And so it becomes really hard to succeed. And, and to be, if I'm being totally upfront, the failures of that of me as an entrepreneur were largely due to me. Right, no one else's fault. Um, I, I 
put some constraints on myself that that made it difficult, uh, you know, around pricing and how the product would go to market that made it a really difficult on the on building a business. Um, personally, I think that the better answer for most companies is to buy, right? That that there are some companies where yes, you have a culture where you can build and it it works and you can tolerate the, com- the inevitable conflicts and the and the kind of uh, lack of synergy between the two things. But for most companies, buying is a much better answer. And of course, one of the things you and I both learned at Cisco was that you know you that when these things work, they work at a 10x level, right? That that you get incredible benefit from the ones that work, and you know, many don't work. But that's okay if you find the 10x winners. And so I think for most companies, entrepreneurship can work, but acquisition has a much better odds of success in my experience. Yeah, and and I've seen it. I've definitely seen more success as a whole in buying versus building, especially for all the reasons you stated. So then um, that is an interesting conversation too, because now that we're entering uh, this pandemic, there's a lot of job losses, even to some degree in technology. Uh, What's your encouragement for people, say that they're middle to later career, to have the confidence to jump out and start their own thing? Well, it's a great question, Keith. And what I think still is we are in the early innings of a big disruption and that the the trend towards cloud and the trend towards mobile and the trend towards SaaS is going to create tremendous amounts of opportunity, right? Really around one word I love is automation, right? We're going to really automate business, automate, secure, make efficient, right? And if you're doing something where you're automating, securing, or making something efficient, you have a tremendous opportunity still ahead of you. And I think that you know, not everyone's the right person to start a company. <clears throat> but for those who are, this still represents a good time to go do it. And it's, it's ignore the noise, focus, and get going. And there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's still a lot of capital out there. And there's... Um, you know, I think there's more talent out there that is willing to take risk at this point. And all those things bode well for, uh, for, be, for starting something now. That's very encouraging. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to have you back in the next segment to talk more about those opportunities and advice you have for startups. So don't go away. I have Dan Scheiman, angel investor, uh, giving a lot of great insight on today's show. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. If you happen to be a Cisco alumni, find us on the Cisco Alumni Facebook group, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, my special guest is Dan Scheinman, investor in four unicorns, including the very first investor in Zoom Communications, as well as part owner of the Giants. On this week's Cyber Tip, I want to talk more about contact tracing. I've been getting a lot of emails and voicemails about what contact tracing is, especially in light of a few weeks ago with Apple and Google announcing that they were going to work together to tie their platforms together. So contact tracing is, uh, especially in light of the pandemic, is the ability to 
identify people who might have been exposed to the virus and then to alert you via your smart device. And so there's a lot of concern over privacy. Uh, I'm not going to talk about what I feel about that, but I will say that the implications are, on one hand, it's balancing what the public thinks is the need to be able to track people who've been exposed to coronavirus. And so think of a system between Apple and Google, there's 3 billion users in the world. By tying their phone systems together, they might be able to say, hey, I got exposed to COVID-19. I might be able to alert an app in my phone. And then through that, a broadcast beacon, just like an emergency alert, will go to uh, people that were in contact with that phone. So I showed a video last month that talked about uh, spring breakers in Florida and how the 5,000 spring breakers spread out across the country over the next 10 days and how in 5,000 phones were in contact with almost 900,000 people in just 10 short days. So in contact tracing, the phone systems between Apple and Google will tie that information together and then app providers, so maybe it's your hospital, maybe it's the CDC, they'll create apps for that to alert you. And right now it's an opt-in platform. So what that means is they're going to say that you as a user, you can voluntarily choose to do that. But in future releases of Google and Apple, they are going to embed it in the operating system. So it will be a standard feature in the phone. So what I think will happen is most likely you're going to have to opt out. And so using technologies like Bluetooth, they're going to basically say, like, if I walk by somebody who's exposed with COVID-19 and they alert on their phone app that they were infected and they broadcast it, then within a couple of days, I might receive a text or an alert or a buzz on my phone saying, hey, just be aware that you might have been in contact with somebody who's exposed to the virus. Um, I know there's really early, I think that this is um, going to happen in some form because all these governments around the world want the ability to notify people when they're sick. So I'll stay on top of this topic and I'll be sure to cover it more in future shows. And again, you have any questions or comments on this, email us at info at And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest for today is Dan Scheinman, angel investor. Uh, he has worked on four unicorns and he's also a part owner of the San Francisco Giants. Welcome back, Dan. Thanks, Keith. Great to be here. So, Dan, let's talk a little bit about the Giants. What's going on? Well, this is obviously a tough time for everyone uh, and a tough time for a lot of folks in the, in the country. And, and sports is obviously secondary in some regards. Uh, baseball, though, unlike tech companies, is a cash-in, cash-out business. And when you have no cash coming in, it does start to get a little bit hairy. Uh, my hope is that the players and the owners can come together to find a way to play a partial schedule uh, and hopefully that we can salvage something out of the season. But it is, it's really a strange time to be, you know, this should be the heyday of baseball, right? This is the best time for baseball and there's no games, the stadiums are empty. You know, it's, it's, it's been a real challenge. Yeah, I had heard a little bit about uh, some possibilities of doing a – season in Arizona or having um, games with no fans? Is that still? Yeah. I think I think the latest is going to be games with no fans, but the players okay. and the owners really, because you still, you, baseball, you really need time to get the players in shape to play. You know, probably relatively soon, they're going to reach a drop dead date on the season. So they're going to have to come to agreement. It really does come down to the players and the owners have to find common ground uh, in order to, to have 
a half season, basically. And I, I'm hopeful that they actually will, because I think the country does want to be able to be distracted during this. And I think they want to be able to watch baseball. And I just hope that we can come to something that keeps the players safe, is a fair deal for the players, fair deal for the owners. And then, boom, we can start playing. So in the last segment, we were talking about reminiscing about the Cisco days and some of the parallels between the rise of the dot-com era, the kind of the the dot-com bust, and then um, other ebbs and flows in the market that's happened since then. There's been 2008. But you had a very encouraging statement about how now is a great time if you've got an idea and there's talent to start out on your own. Um, What are some of your advice for people thinking about that? So. Keith, thank you for asking it. I think the biggest thing right now is what you have to be prepared for in the early stages of a company is having enough money to have enough runway to last until this is basically starting to ebb, right? These things will come and they will go. And the, and the core is to raise enough money to last for 24 months. It used to be at seed, we would say 18 months of runway. But now I think you need 24 months of runway and you may need to be able to figure out how to do more with less. So that in the past uh, six months, we were seeing insane funding rounds early in enterprise startup land. You might see a $10 million seed round, which is, you know, really high, right? Um, Or $5 million seed round, right? So now it might be 2 million or it might be 3 million, right? And you're going to have to figure out instead of, you know, getting 5 million and having that last 18 months, how do I make the 2 to 3 million last 24 months? Right. And I think it's going to favor folks who are more technical, who are more doers themselves, who can stretch their budgets through remote engineering, but also are very clear on the choices they have to make between go to market and product over that first 24 months and and strike the right balance so that they can get to what they need to get to to raise an A round. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, I appreciated your, you had a recent LinkedIn article uh, talking about how startups really should reset their expectations on funding in general. So I know you talked about a little bit more, uh, but if you could offer more um, advice on that. Sure, let me, be, let me be super specific too, which is sometimes in the last six months, things I noticed were getting a little bit sloppy and I was seeing people who were raising with concept uh, decks. Hey, this is a big problem. We're going to try and attack the problem, right? And uh, you know, and and trust us, it's going to work, right? And what I see now is that that kind of deck probably doesn't work. What you're going to need to do is be super specific about how am I going to get to a million dollars ARR with whatever round of funding I raise, with no guarantee that there's going to be some bridge round or post seed round. None of that crap. You're, you've got your money now. Can you get to a million ARR. So do you understand your go-to-market? Do you understand the resources you need? Do you have the right engineering team, right? Um, and can you do it? Super valuable. Um, I agree with you on that. I've seen the deals change very rapidly in the last uh, 10 weeks for sure, but since the beginning of the year. And uh, I think that's really helpful that you're mentioning that because I think that the startups that are going to get it, pivot, and survive are going to adjust their expectations the way they operate quickly. The ones that think that this is a, a temporary setback and things will go back to normal, um, they might have felt that in the first few weeks, but I'm hoping that they don't think that now. It's not going back to a normal. I, I, I completely agree, and I think that, as always, the people who get ahead of this and think two steps forward are, are much better off than the folks who are, who are 
clinging to the past. And then I know, I know you, you've done a lot with unicorns, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, but are you seeing um, certain categories of startups doing better than others? And so not even the industries yet, but I, I'm reading a lot where enterprise-focused startups will really have to think about how long they can stretch their, their runway because um, enterprises, back to the, the large uh, organization problem, they are put everything on pause. I know some of the startups I'm working with at an enterprise level, it's not that those deals are dead, it's just that those deals aren't happening because everybody's in lockdown. Are you seeing that as well? Uh, no, I don't. I have not seen that. So I, I'm in some really new, uh, you know, really early enterprise startups. Uh, one particularly called Speckit, which does training on top mm-hmm. of Salesforce right now. Yep. And I might have thought, hey, Salesforce implementations are going to slow, so training slows. But actually, the opposite has happened, where there's been more interest in digitizing training because people aren't in offices, right? So their volume of leads is actually sustained and maybe even going up during this period of time. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it just really depends what you're doing and where you are inside enterprise, right? I, I would say, I don't know anything about consumer, but I generally do believe this is a good time to be in the consumer business. For the first time in probably five years, I think this has created opportunities in consumer, right? I'm not in that business. I don't know it, but I do think. <laughs> and then in enterprise, I actually think that what I'm seeing, at least through Speckit and through, I mean, another early stage company called Altostraw, which makes it easy to program microservices and serverless architectures, I'm seeing folks are more willing to reach out and spend time talking with new stuff and are looking at the next new as opposed to clinging to the old. And so, I don't know. I, I actually am, again, I'm optimistic and positive about new stuff being able to get it. Now, again, that doesn't, it's not a general statement. I know there's things that are in pain and there are some things that rely on having a physical office and there is no physical office right now. So, okay, those are going to be harder, right? Um, But, you know, uh, I think generally there is a lot of opportunity um, going forward in spaces in the enterprise, in the new enterprise. And I think there's, there's just as many companies, if not more, who are seeing opportunity right now. Security, for sure, we are seeing a shocking amount of opportunity uh, right now that I might not have expected. And it, specifically, because I'm really tied into the security space, what technologies is the market looking for? Right. So the big question now is you've gone from having, let's say, 700 offices, 700 endpoints, to now having, I don't know, multi-threaded number of thousands of uh, of, of endpoints, uh, hundreds of thousands in some cases. And so the question of am I safe or how do I make myself safe, right, in this environment has become a pressing question for most CISOs, chief information security officers. And I find that um, what they're starting to do is look again at the old infrastructure they had, which assumed an office, which assumed certain things, and they're starting to say, we don't have that. What do we need to do? Uh, I was uh, one of the first investors in Sentinel One, which is a modern-day endpoint company, and the company has seen increased demand for the idea that you can automate and, and have access to hundreds of thousands of endpoints, right? And it can be part of the security solution in this new world. Uh, I've invested in another company called Psychognito, which is is uh, starting uh, its market entry with attack surface and starting to look at the modern attack surface and looking all the way again into ways that people's homes may allow attackers in. Uh, 
Yeah. And so it, these kinds of companies, again, are finding lots of receptivity from uh, CISO saying, I think you can make me safer. And it might have been in both these cases that their ramp was actually slower in a non-COVID world because then you're, you're, there's not as much urgency right, to change. And uh, now that there's more urgency, we're getting more and more A-tier opportunities. I really appreciate your, uh, I'll call you a technology optimist. All these cycles, and uh, I've lived through a few of them, the dot-com crash, the financial collapse, and, and now we're going through COVID-19. It's the companies that really can pivot. There's, there's stories, great stories about companies that are thriving in these periods. Your company, Zoom, is absolutely one of those success stories. So I'm really appreciative of that. Dan, I can't believe we're out of time on the regular segments of the show. So I really appreciated your insight today. I really hope you come back for more of these conversations. Don't go away because Dan's going to come back on the pivot to talk about his predictions on a post-COVID-19 and a future world. So if you have any questions, email us at info at svn.biz. We have Dan Scheiman, angel investor, uh, been involved with four unicorns and part owner of the Giants. Find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, and we'll be back to end the show. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. On today's show, my special guest has been Dan Scheiman, angel investor, four unicorns, companies like Arista, Sentinel One, and of course, everyone knows about the Zoom success story. Also a part owner of the San Francisco Giants. Dan, thank you again for being on today's show. Hey, thanks for having me. So we're in the section we now call The Pivot, which is all about change. And I thought it'd be great to get your insight on what the future is going to look like, uh, not just in the post-COVID world, what innovation will be coming out of this? Well, first, I think people will be getting haircuts again soon at some point. I desperately (laughs) need one. Me too. Yeah. I think in the post-COVID world, there are some things that are very clear, which is we are going to be much more remote than we were. Uh, the idea of the monolith office, I think, is dead. Um, now, I also think that people who believe that they're going to get the same salary, and they're going to move to Boise, Idaho and get a San Francisco salary, I don't think that's going to last or work. Um, and uh, But I do think that work from home is going to become completely alive, and we're going to have to rebuild communication stacks for a world of work from home why you know and and uh, uh, and I think that that's going to be with us second is I do think that the whole world of securities we talked about is going to change and we're going to leave and abandon 20 year old 30 year old products and, and concepts and move really to uh, an AI powered world in security an AI ml powered world uh, and that's going to be upon us and it's 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 really going to be incumbent on modern CISOs to move quickly to make sure they eliminate risk that exists inside these now distributed enterprises. I also believe um, that the line between work and play is going to be blurred for a while. And is what we're doing entertainment, is what we're doing, you know, work-related. It's it's going to become unclear. This this radio show is, is an example of what's unclear anymore. And... I think that's actually going to be good for content creators. It's going to be an opportunity for content creators to create new kinds of content for a, a workforce that's at home and is looking for snacks, right? And uh, looking for mental snacks. And, and so, I don't know. I just, 
I, as you pointed out, I tend to be an optimist and I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity. I, let me just one last thing, which is the idea of a fully digital supply chain to the end user is also going to happen more rapidly, right? Retail is in such trouble. And I feel so sorry for my friends who work in retail yeah. and built businesses in retail. But the reality is, is that direct to consumer or certainly digital to consumer is going to become much more important going forward. What other industries do you think are going to rise out of this? I actually believe media is one that's going to be a net winner out of this for sure. Uh, I think software, of course, is going to be a winner. I think the new world of consumer is going to be a winner and will rise. I think video, all things video, is going to be a big a big deal uh, and, and should do well. That was not paid for by Zoom, but I actually <laughs> believe it. Um, uh, I, I do think that security is going to do very well out of this and that, uh, that that's going to win. So I think those places are places that, that are really obviously have opportunity. Some of the more older world stuff of retail and real estate are going to be more challenged. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, we're seeing uh, the collapse of retail everywhere. Um, as we speak, uh, Pier 1, a retailer does home goods that's that's gone neiman marcus has filed jc pennies has filed i mean i i see that but i, I agree with you 100 percent on the solutions the other thing that was interesting because bring it back to media um and i know that's an area you know very well in terms of the charts of what current industries are hammered i mean media's got like an eight percent out of a hundred media's at the like the bottom along with travel and tourism um so I think the media solutions is where people definitely should be focused because there has people need entertainment, the inability to go to sports games, to go to concerts, to go to those things. And so that to me also is interesting to see how people are going to adapt. I completely agree. I think there's opportunity there and I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, and I think the, other, the great thing about media and about sports is these are adaptable businesses, right? They have to go where the dollars are because they're cash businesses. And I think both of those are going to, show the ability to adapt and figure things out and move forward. And I'm actually, I'm very optimistic. I mean, when you look at the success of all sorts of new types of entertainment that's happened over this period of time, now monetization, not there yet, agree with you. But the (laughs) fact that people are spending hours on certain types of things, right? It's kind of incredible. Even Clubhouse, which shows up in the middle of all this, and is able to raise 10 million on 100 million, or 12 million, I'm sorry, on 100 million. Um, it's kind of incredible that they came out of nowhere all of a sudden, have an audience, are able to raise. It just shows that we're hungry for new worlds and new forms of entertainment. Yeah, I, mean, I think I heard the Twitch platform increased by maybe 30% since the, the COVID-19 started. Absolutely. Twitch, gaming is going crazy, clearly. You know, clearly Netflix is doing very well out of this whole thing. Clearly podcasts are doing very well. I think there's just, there's a lot of things that are up and to the right. And then even things like Zoom fitness classes, right? <laughs> right? I mean, the amount of time on that stuff is, is, is you know, obviously, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think these kinds of things will lead to interesting business opportunities. Yeah. Well, Dan, we have just about a minute left. Um, I wanted just, again, you are a technology optimist. I, I fully appreciate and I'm encouraged by that. What parting thought do you want to give to the audience? So... The next two years are going to be painful and there's going to be a lot of talk about risk, right? And, and sometimes when the talk is about risk, people forget about the opportunity. And I would just remind the audience that the opportunity is big still and maybe even bigger than it was in January. And for those who are risk focused, 
this is a great time to be able to look and try and figure out, can you actually do something? Because there's resources, there's people, and there certainly is opportunity. Right. Well, once again, um, my special guest today has been Dan Scheiman, angel investor, invested in four unicorns, including Zoom and part owner of the Giants. I really appreciate Dan's insight today. Dan, come back anytime. Hey, be a privilege. Thank you, Keith. I really appreciate the time with you. So, uh, any questions or comments about what Dan and I talked about today? Email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.